0: The answer is humility. You got to be humble enough to tell them right where we are. I think the worst thing about art industry is not necessarily the CEOs, but the executives mask problems. You know, hey, you know, we're everything's going great. Just get more jobs. I mean, my team will tell you, like, I'm very open. Like, hey, finances are horrible. Um, we need to figure this out. We need more work. Does anybody have a plan? You got to be honest with them and you got to put them there and then you got to enable them to talk and you got to listen. I mean, I have to listen. And when when a guy like Ben says, hey, I think we need to make a pivot to the northeast. This is the guy. I literally picked up the phone. And I was like, are you out of your mind? Have you checked the news? Do you really think that we should be getting into the northeast in the middle of covid? And he was 100 percent right. <laughs> and, and that's all you, you got to listen. You got to listen to your people.
1: Welcome to The Climb, Crossroads in Defining Moments. I'm your co-host, Michael Moore. Today, we will go inside the mind of an entrepreneurial spirit. Growing up in rural Oklahoma and eventually making the OSU polo team, Luke Reed is changing the game. He has pivoted his business in the last 90 days by taking the chemical division of his oil and gas company and transforming it into a multi-million dollar hand sanitizer manufacturer. His faith and his family guide him. Listen to The Climb. Luke, thanks for joining me and Bob. Welcome to The Climb. Glad to be here. Uh, I'll I'll start it off by saying, unlike several of our other guests where there's a super long history for us to feed off of, our relationship is, is in its infancy. But several months ago, which feels like years ago in the world of COVID and oil and gas negative prices and all the things that have been giving us black eyes the last 90 days, when we sat down for that initial lunch, it was just this this feeling like I had known you for a long time. And there was just commonalities in the way that we thought. Um, I loved hearing your story. And so as as Bob and I came up with the idea about the climb and crossroads and defining moments, I couldn't think of a better guest. So thank you for joining us. And I think after our initial meeting, and we'll dive into this, uh, I would have said you're probably one of the most interesting people in the oil and gas business, but, uh, <laughs> with the pivot that you've made and, and, and I can't wait to dive into it. I'd say you're probably the most interesting person in the hand sanitizer business now. So
2: <laughs> probably um, so.
1: thank you for, for joining us and, and just start out by giving us a little background on you kind of where you've been, where you are and where you're headed.
0: Yeah. So, uh, definitely, definitely appreciate being here. Yeah. When we met, I guess it was four or five months ago, but, uh, so my wife and I bought a company called Quantum Valve back in 2015, 2014. It was a valve company here in the Barnett Shale, specifically for XTO. You know, so for about six months we stayed here in the Barnett, um, moved it to Midland in January of 16, and then from January to 16 have been operating ever since. And now we're we were one guy, now we're 87 people. We're all the way across the U S we've got facilities in South Texas, Midland, the Northeast. And um, yeah, we've, we've, we've got a really, really, really good core group of guys. Um, Most of us have worked together for 10 plus years. And that synergy is what makes quantum quantum. You know, we, we pride ourselves on the fact that we're super, super nimble. Um, We're not private equity backed. So really the only people that we have to argue with is the uh, people we shave with. So conversations pretty simple but no we we started in the valve went into BOP got into horsepower got into chemical the deal went really well yeah so we went from a one product service line company to uh, five product service lines and you know went from a million dollar a, m- a year kind of revenue company just small 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 to north of 30 and I mean honestly all of that is attributed to the fact that we have in each division, a true subject matter expert. And one of the things like our group, so between the four main executives outside of the finance, we have been together for a long time. We've done a lot of wells. We've we've done roughly 1,400 wells in the Northeast, 1,600 wells in West Texas. So we have an extensive background on downhole. And so the whole idea wasn't to like get into the service world because it's sexy and you're going to make a lot of money. It wasn't that at all. It was, let's bridge the gap between the bow tie in New York and the boots on the ground in the oil field and figure out a way to make it efficient and do that at a cost point that doesn't kill somebody and that truly makes a good return. I mean, it wasn't like 99% of the industry, I think, whether it's E&P or OFS in the last three years, four years, it's Hey, let's build something up sexy enough that we convince some private equity that it's lipstick on a pig, and they buy it with more money than you can see over. And that's just that's not practical. I think it's fake money, and it it doesn't sustain. And so the idea was, okay, let's let's do something that's meaningful, and in the meantime, let's build an E and P company, which is our assets in the Northeast under Black Fern Resources, and let's vertically integrate. And rather than some companies that are out there that have that vertical integration, I think they really just rob Peter to pay Paul. And at the end of the day, Peter or Paul, one of them comes knocking. And I think that's where you see a lot of downfall, especially with companies that you see there. They have a midstream component. It's a very attractive component, but you've got to treat it like it's an individual business. And and we've we've got some really, really awesome mentors. And quite frankly, I think that's one of our biggest strong sets is like, whether you're Blackfern or you're Quantum, the group of people that are there to pick you up and not let you fall are huge. And we've got a plethora of resources of good older guys that say, hey, Luke, or anybody on the staff, like, hey, this is a bad decision because they're out there. I mean, the the idea of jumping at the next greatest thing, it's, I mean, Oilfield 101. And so it's it's like trying to figure out what is a good move and then the some of it's just gut and and I think the one thing that we're really good at we've we've made mistakes there no doubt about it but we're really good at people and we've had some really 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 good leaders and that's made us you know individually like we're our, you know each product service line we call them PSL's probably because all of us are from Halliburton you know we just look at the world differently and if we can get true subject matter expert into the product service line that means i don't have to do their job and that's kind of the one of the biggest things is trying to trying to just get everybody to stay in flow i guess if you will every day is a new day just when i feel like we get ahead you know <laughs> we get another curveball but so much of it is just the backbone of the leaders of each division and we've got a really really strong executive team that you know, it's not an executive team that we're all Harvard MBA guys. We're true boots on the ground. Every single one of us have been just as much time in the field as the other, and having that operational experience. You know, if anything, we're the weakest at is finance, but that's why we hire bankers. That's what that's their job. So now it's been it's been really good. It's uh it's definitely been a challenging uh, five years, but um, something I know that we're going to look back at and say, hey, it was worth it. Backing up from
1: kind of the, the current landscape and before we pivot into your idea during all of this turmoil uh, that's just fascinating, give us a little more insight into how you grew up, rural Oklahoma, OSU, Polo. Yeah. Uh, let's yeah. hear about that.
0: So, uh, yeah, I grew up in Northwest Oklahoma in Guyman and uh, lived there my whole life. Went to Oklahoma State. I guess this is what, gosh, it makes you really feel old. This is 2020. Uh, so it would have been 2000. Went there. Yeah. Had an awesome college experience. I did the whole five and a half year, good victory and a half lap, if you will. Um, I did <laughs> biomechanical engineering and, you know, not arrogantly speaking, I, the education part was pretty easy. I had a, I was, I had a, it feels like as far as books wise, I had a pretty easy time getting through school, but that's where I learned how to play polo. And um, anyway, turned polo into, I went to, uh, I guess it was LA first in Seattle. And I worked as a uh, groom for a patron and somehow got, I guess, good enough that somebody said, Hey, you should think about this as a career. And uh, two days before I graduated college, I told my folks, I was like, Hey, I think I'm going to go to New Zealand and play for this team. And my folks were like, Super, super supportive. And they were like, follow your dreams. And so I literally I had already accepted with Halliburton. And the guy's name's John Reed. So if John, if you ever hear this, you were instrumental in my life. And he said, dude, follow your dreams. And uh whenever you grow up and get a real job, call me. And it's so easy to remember because I'm John Luke Reed. So this was really simple to remember his name. So I I did polo for the next 10 years all over the world and um how I met Tim Kelly and just a a bunch of great, great humans and, uh, had an awesome, has had an awesome run. And I met my wife in school. Um, I was playing for a team in Jackson hole and we were traveling to Houston for the fall. And I was going into a libation establishment and, uh, making sure that uh, all my (laughs) friends and everybody in Stillwater was keeping up to my standards. We were yeah, having a good time, obviously. And, um, ran into my future wife, she was like, hey, this is 2008. She said, "Like, listen, I I like you, but polo is a little much for me. So uh, <laughs> by 2010, she'd convinced me like, okay, it's time to get a real job, time to let go of polo. And uh, I was playing here for a team in Dallas. And I ended up calling John Reed, uh, the guy 10 years prior, and said, uh, I guess this was 05. And I guess it was six, seven years. And I said, hey, uh, I've grown up. I need a job. And three days later,
2: I was working for Halliburton. So, so Luke, did you, did you stay in touch with John throughout that time or, no? you know, those six, seven years, you just called him up yeah. and he said, come on, come on over.
0: Yeah. I never, uh, n- yeah, never spoke to him. I, uh, I had a bunch of college buddies that went to Halliburton. It's a, for biomechanical engineering out of Oklahoma state, it's a pretty, uh, fast track to Halliburton, if you will. So it was kind of an end, but um, no, John, it was, it's it quite humorous. And then uh, that's how I met half the staff at Quantum and on it went. So Polo and, and my
1: grandfather on my mother's side was, was quite into it as well. Probably not the same level as you. Um, I mean, it's a very tight knit community. It so is. that for lack of a better term club that you became a part of, I mean, is that, Is that something that you still rely on today, those connections and relationships and people that
0: you met along the way? You know, no. One thing, if like you ask my wife, like about me, I'm once I'm done with something, I'm done with something. I'm very, very little look in the rearview mirror. And I always thought, especially when I got into engineering and I'm, you know, sitting in West Virginia on a well site wondering what the hell am I doing? it, It was really funny to think like, well, why did I play polo? Like, what was the whole point of all that? And then when I got into Midland with the oil field service company, you know, immediately BTA, uh, they're not a customer of Quantum, but Kelly Beal was one of my uh, sponsors there for a few years. Great, great guy. Craig Duke, wonderful people. I mean, I reached out to him and, you know, they were there to say, hey, we support you. And hey, if you're in town and you need something and it just opened this little web up. And then, you know, here recently between... Tim over at Lockton and uh, Bill Webb over in Alabama, I hadn't really talked to a whole lot of people just because I'd gotten out of it. I, you know, put up the polo saddle and got a Western saddle out and started trying to show Western reigning cow horse, which was quite humbling. Uh, I thought I was really good at polo. I really was horrible in a Western saddle. And then kids came. And, you know, five years ago, we had our son Lane and then Evan. He's now two and a half, almost three. And we just had a baby girl, uh, Lillian. So she's like five weeks, maybe four weeks, and so it's uh, it's chaos. Like literally, I mean, if if I if I had, you know to write it down and look at it, you're like, what were you thinking? Like, why did you put all those cinder blocks on your back? But you know, if you're always if you're going to wait for the right time, I think you're going to wait a long time. Exactly. So your wife
1: helps you see the light at the end of the tunnel on polo. You do decide to get married. And, and typically that's enough but then you guys decide to buy a company together like talk about those conversations around the table
0: uh are you sure you want to do this like um I mean this is a what you got's a pretty good deal like do we do we need to go there you know if the truth be told and a bottle of wine is down I think she would tell you that uh hey this is just who he is his heart is completely wild and untamed and if if there's something to go after he's going to do it and not because I want that from a standpoint to beat my chest. I genuinely just love people and I want to make a change. I want to make a difference. I don't, I don't care if I have, you know, a thousand awards on my mantle. That doesn't mean anything to me. If I can show people that doing good gets good and show through faith of Jesus Christ, like, this is the right thing to do, it works. It ends up working. I mean, there's, there's unsurmountable things that I think all the time, how in the world are we going to get through this? And I had one of our main guys yesterday tell me, this is by faith and faith alone. And I, I love that our team, you know, for the longest time, I thought it was awkward to talk about God in in, uh, public situations, if you will but our team's quite the opposite. And I think we get to feed on each other and show like, Hey, we're going to get through this. I mean, it's not going to necessarily be the way we thought it was going to be. I mean, who in the world thought I was going to sell hand sanitizer? We'll but get to that. We'll <laughs> get that. Yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> um, but I mean, at the same time, who, who would have thought somebody from Guymon, Oklahoma, where there's, I mean, it's, it's, you're either in cattle or, or wheat pasture or corn. I mean, there's, there's not polo for any mind's sake. And you know, he, he puts things in front of you and You either choose to go down that path or you don't. But I mean, either way, it's your destiny, I guess.
2: Luke, you know, I I love the comment of what you said. If if you're going to wait for the right time, you know, you're going to wait a long time. At what point was the tipping point from you to go, okay, this is like, this is time. I'm ready to go. Was there something that was a catalyst to say, I got to leave and go do this? Like, did the opportunity just fall in your lap? Like, how did all of that come about? You know, combination of
0: things. I feel like I was putting myself in a place to lead a company that I was with at the time, kind of fell through, you know, no harm, no foul, if you will. Uh, I learned a tremendous amount working for that company. And I just thought, it's time for me to go do this on my own. When I think back, when I think back about that, and I think, okay, wait a minute, rewind. This is 2015. So you've now like, been a grown up, if you will, quote unquote, for five years. Like, give me a break. Like people spend 30 years getting to that position. I don't know. I just, I led, you know, I led a team that was started with two guys and went to 104. And that's just my personality. And I looked at it like, Hey, here's an opportunity. I believe in myself and the weights on me. And, and like I told Erica, that's my wife. I said, if you, I mean, I know you believe in me. I know we believe in each other. So if, if we feel like we got this, let's, let's roll the dice and let's go. I mean, the, the, some of the best advice I ever got on like going out on my own was what's the worst thing that can happen. I mean, I get a job, (laughs) you know, I mean, it's, it's not the worst thing. I mean, I'm educated. I've, I've got my health. I've got wonderful children. I've got a wonderful wife. I mean, in the grand scheme of things. Especially with what's presented itself in the last 90 days. I mean, tell me what person hasn't looked back in the last 90 days and said, hey, maybe the last few years I could have done a little differently. Not that you would have changed everything, but there's definitely things that you would look at differently and say, hey, maybe I need to put a little less priority into you know being gone three days a week or you know fill in the blank, whatever it may be for each person. I, I don't think it was exactly a catalyst. If anything, it was just my time. You know, but that's a unique
1: skill set that at your age, really at any age, a lot of people really struggle with. I mean, to understand the role that that faith plays, but then every time I sit down with you, you know, a lot of of C-level guys or owners or entrepreneurs, they're really good at thinking three steps ahead, or maybe they're really good at analyzing the now, or maybe they spend the majority of their time looking in the rearview mirror, but to be able to pivot between the three, um, I, I certainly see as a defining moment and in, in a you know a way that you go about your day. And yeah. so now we're in the midst of COVID nineteen. Oil has gone to a negative number, and you pivot. Talk to us about that.
0: Yeah, don't. Uh, <laughs> so our COO, his name's Luke. We've been running together since literally the fourth day of Halliburton. So we used to put this show on called Luke and Luke in the morning, and it was our it was our uh, Mike and Mike interpretation of the oil field. And we've been extremely close ever since. And he sends me this message the day, I mean the night Lillian is being born, and uh, he's like, "Hey, I think we got to do this," and he like sends me this mad brochure about. Hand sanitizer, and I just rolled my eyes and I sent him a message back. I said, What the hell are you talking about? Like, I mean, <laughs> let's, let's let's, I mean, I, I haven't slept for a while, but I'm not that stupid yet. Um, let's let's just reset for a couple of days. And anyway, we we got in the horn, and you know, this is pre everybody getting back into the office, which is for our team extremely weird because we all are, you know, uh, very tangible folks that want to like be around each other, look at each other, talk with one another. We want to interact on a face-to-face level. So anyway, we, uh, inside quantum was a chemical division that did pretty well. And, you know, our leader of the chemical division had mentioned, Hey, like, this is a, this is an avenue that we should think about. Luke pressed a little harder than anybody and it grew wings. And, uh, all of a sudden it was, you know, Hey, this is a good idea to, Hey, this is a great idea to financially, you know, could change your company. You know, I mean, I'm a wide open book, so we've got debt. And, you know, when we look at our books, you know, again, we're not private equity owned, but, you know, we own the bank or we owe the bank and we owe, you know, private investors. And when we look at that and you think about, okay, so on the, on the trajectory, we are January and February, were just slam out knockout months for us. It was awesome. And then to have that kind of a you know, shot in the heart. It was, it was like everything we had worked for through 19 to get there was there. And then it was like, okay, we got to reset. And, you know, the thing about oil field is, is, you know, you're working on what I would consider smaller margins just because of the industry right now. Um, even in January, February, I mean, I think if you're really, truly calling net 20 is, is pretty remarkable. Um, some people might think I'm off, but I just think their math is probably wrong you know, when, when we got into hand sanitizer, it was, okay, let's lean on some people that are really, really smart in the space. And I've got a really, really, really good close family friend, um, probably next to Luke, my closest friend and um, reached out to him and I was like, Hey, you're in medical sales space, like get in here, let's start brainstorming. And so he's been sitting at the head of the uh, conference table every day. And so when we to give you a little bit of background of why I say conference table. So our office, everybody clearly has their own office. But um, in December, I asked everybody that was on outside of finance because they need to be next to their computers and not listening to me babble. But sales team, COO, corporate development, all the leaders of the future and the vision. I was like, every single one of you, this is your new office. And so there's been roughly seven or eight of us in one conference room since December 23rd and the whole reason was is you know the vision of going forward you got to get there and you've got to work on it and if you if if you're always wondering what bob says and luke says and harry says and tom says you know you it's just miscombobulated which that posed to be a problem when it got to covid and everybody's conferencing calling each other and saying hey did you talk to joe or did you talk to bob it, was, it got kind of out of hand but all in all it was uh We've, we've been sitting in there and and since, I guess it's been about three and a half weeks that we've been back in the office and we brought RID in and it's it's just been, you know, relationship driven, but it's it's been honest. It's been a little slow at times, but, you know, we've got a great product. We've got uh, a really, really good following. We've got people all across the U.S. pushing this. And there's, it, unfortunately, because the pandemic, there is so much BS out on the market. From a hand sanitizer, whether that's a, you know, some ethanol that got imported from Mexico that's poor. I mean, I, I literally could tell you so much about hand sanitizer; it's absurd, uh, and more about packaging than you'd ever want to know. But we just said to the team, we're like, hey, we're going to get really, really smart on lane logistics, packaging the the actual formula of the sanitizer, and we're going to push it. and If it's a three-year play, it's a five-year play, it's a seven-year play, or it's a three-month play, let's capitalize as best as we can. Let's not price gouge. Let's not get ourselves into a problem with the government. And let's just put out the same honest quantum product that we've been putting out in the oil field. Let's put it out in hand sanitizer. And um, the margins were good. And let's keep paying debt down and let's keep people employed. That was the big goal of it. And uh, it's taken off and now it's turning into something quite meaningful.
1: Talk about some of the early successes that you've had. I mean, the, the market penetration you've created in inside of a couple of months is astounding.
0: Uh, yeah, it is. Um, we've had some really, really good people that have gotten into some big, big box places. Um, a lot of Costco, uh, Whole Foods, Walgreens, Cisco, a lot of hospitals, a ton of school districts and it's taken off and it's i think a lot of it's like you know everybody wanted to sell a product and say well this is what it is you guys figure out packaging mine was quite the opposite it was like well hey they have a need let's let's go figure it out and so we got hooked up with a guy his name's Jim on the packaging side and he's taken care of lane logistics and and bottling and he's been our one-stop shop and it, again it goes back to quantum like if you put a subject matter expert in and something that he's really good at Leave well enough alone. I I don't need to learn about how to bottle a two ounce package. That's not my skill set. And I don't need to be that guy. So that's something that we we really did and it it worked. And now it's it's driving home. I mean, we're I think we're moving a lot of product right now. And it's uh it looks like on the horizon, at least we're seeing six and twelve month contracts, which for us uh is awesome. And let's see what happens. Who knows? We were, I'm I'm premature telling this, but, uh, my team would appreciate it. We're launching a brand of the product called pure, and it's going to be a, it's going to be an awesome move. It's going to go into e-commerce and we're going to, we're going to push it as hard as we can and, uh, see what good things happen.
1: So Luke is you, you know, again, going back to what I've seen, your ability to look at things from all angles and you have such a, I mean, you know, I hope it becomes a rear view mirror thing sooner than later, but you get a defining moment like a COVID-19. I mean, how are you looking at kind of
0: like the old economy versus the new economy? You know, I think on things that are going forward, we're probably going to look at cash differently. Definitely conserving more holding that closer to our chest rather than going out and i mean i think that there's don't get me wrong that there's really really good opportunities right now but an opportunity you know just because it's half off doesn't mean you need to buy it and there's a there's a lot of oil field services right now that you know i was like oh it's 10 cents on the dollar it's 20 cents on the dollar but guess what you gotta have that 20 cents and if you're going to borrow that 20 cents at 15 cents now it's 35 cents. And I, I think everybody just thinks like, oh, this is just simple. And it's not. And I think we look at it like, okay, how do we hold our cash? How do we strategically think about the next five years? And then what do we want to be a part of? I think something that our industry is so laser focused is that we we say we diversify relative to the industry. Well, guess what? It's still the industry. One thing the hand sanitizer has at least taught our team is like, holy there's a lot going on in this world that we know nothing about. And so it's gotten us a completely different perspective of like looking at everything else that's going on. And so I think that, uh, I think diversifying our team, I know that we would like to maybe do a little bit more real estate, maybe continue on. uh, What do we call it now? What does Ritz say? He says households and uh, something health, uh, Don, our, our VP of finance, he called it something like, health and households or something. It's a, the launch of the pure brand, but, uh, you know, stuff that stuff that's every day that affects everyone. And I think that people don't realize, you know, especially like some people in my family, they think, Oh, this is, you know, a fad. What? It's not a fad. I mean, you, you like it or leave it. It's change and the world's going there. And if you can't go there, you're going to be left behind. And so I think that's kind of our goal is to to really look at opportunities outside of the industry, capitalize, and then maybe be a little more nimble than we are right now. So along those lines, and then Bob, jump in here, I don't
1: want to monopolize the questions, but um, you mentioned earlier, You know we're really good at people, right? But how do you transform, motivate, educate a workforce, that has been oil filled services and look there's a lot of technical expertise that goes into that but get them behind the charge of this extreme pivot in direction and and start all rowing to the same beat again and and heading you know heading towards where you're going to take this thing
0: well first is So every product service line leader. So we've got a guy named Ben who runs our pump down division. And we've got a guy named Mitchell who runs Frackstack. I'm not asking them to sell hand sanitizer. I'm asking them to get even more focused on their product service line because their lifeline of Luke Reed is, you know, 80% taken now. Not, not that, you know, you can't call me because we all talk every day. It's more of, you guys have proven yourself. You've got wings. Jump off the cliff. You got this figured out. And enabling them to know that they are who they need to be at that time is probably the most paramount piece in the success. It's, you know, everybody, you know, you're only as good as you uh get to call that lifeline. Well, when you realize, hey, lifeline stepped away and I need to step up, that's what they've done. I mean, Ben has grown a division of horsepower. I can honestly say we're sold out of our horsepower right now. And I mean, nobody can believe it. Nobody even understands it. We opened a shop in Pittsburgh, middle of April. Everyone's like, what are you doing? We hired 15 people and we were sold out within days. But the manager up there, uh, his name's D, he's just, he's been rock solid. And that's because they see the, the D and the new guys, they see me give that free reign to Ben and you feed on it. I mean, leaders, cream rises to the top. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. You just got to give them that. And if you try to control people, it just, it just doesn't work. I mean, it's, it's so counterintuitive to talk about a guy being such an expert, but me controlling him. It's like, well, if he's such an expert, then what the heck am I doing? And that's probably where you know the, the people skill set has come from. Everybody's really leaning on each other, but we know like, hey, I don't have to ask Reed for permission. I mean, it's probably one of my first things I ask in an interview. If you're a yes, sir, kind of guy, I don't need you. I want you to say, hey, Luke, you're wrong. I'm okay with that. I love to be challenged. I mean, Luke and I, the COO, I mean, we just get in knockdown dragouts, but we're best friends. Don and I, same thing. Um, the guys that are, we all know like, hey, that's why we're here. If we were all uh, getting along and it was perfect, hell, we'd have a big E&P company in the Northeast and we'd, you know, it'd be sunshine and,
2: uh, rainbows. It's not. Luke, how do you build, how do you build that trust that's, that's clearly there between the team to be able to do that when, you know, to get those folks to step up and speak their mind? I mean, that, that sounds, it sounds easy, but it's not right. Like, how do you get them to say, Hey, Luke, you know, I firmly believe this without fearing their job right? How do you build that type of culture? Uh,
0: the answer is humility. You got to be humble enough to tell them right where we are. Um, I think the worst thing about art industry is not necessarily the CEOs, but the executives mask problems. You know, hey, you know, we're, everything's going great. Just get more jobs. I mean, my team will tell you, like, I'm very open. Like, hey, finances are horrible. Um, we need to figure this out. We need more work. Does anybody have a plan? And I think you've got to, you got to be, you got to be honest with them and you got to put them there and then you got to enable them to talk and you got to listen. I mean, I have to listen. And when, when a guy like Ben says, Hey, I think we need to make a pivot to the Northeast. This is the guy. I literally picked up the phone. I was like, are you out of your mind? Have you checked the news? Do you really think that we should be getting into the Northeast in the middle of COVID? And he was hundred percent right, you know, gas, like all of a sudden became this bright shining star. My phone started ringing off the hook. Everybody was like, Hey, I heard your, cause our, our black resources, our assets are in the Northeast and, and 90% of us. I mean, the whole executive team, we spent six plus years in the Northeast, but we never thought we'd have a service company up there. Yeah. it just, that's great. <laughs> and that's all you, you gotta listen. You gotta listen to your people.
1: No, I think um, you know, you're hitting on some some great themes here that I'm writing down, like, you know, listen, I mean you just hit on that one. I, I loved how open you were about your faith. You can't do this without humility. You can't do this without empowerment. I mean, as you as you think back on the the influences in your life that define you, I mean, does that Does that carry forward in how you pick teams? You know, you you mentioned, I don't want a guy that says, yes, sir. I want a guy that says you're wrong, which is awesome. A lot of leaders don't look at it that way. Like, talk to us about that.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, especially in our industry, there is somebody at all corners trying to cheat you. There's somebody taking something under the table, some, you know, you got to buy them something to get the work. I mean, it's, it's just absurd. But. That's one thing like our team is known from day one. You do it once. Luke is a one and done guy because that's a slippery slope that never ends. I mean, am I expecting to see you here in this podcast? So if I do another one, am I going to get a pair of boots? And the next time I'm going to get a shotgun, I mean, I'm going to wear you guys out. I'm going to try to be on the phone (laughs) on the podcast once a month. So it's it's just, it's, it's, you gotta, you gotta go after guys that say above everything, I'm going to do the ethical thing. And if I can't do that, Hey, it's not worth doing. Even if it leads you down a slope that says, hey, man, we're out of money. We've got to, you know what? That's where the impossible can be possible. I mean, that's where faith prevails. I mean, there's there's plenty of times that uh, on our place that we live out in uh, West of Weatherford, I'll go to the barn and I'll have my alone time from the three rugrats and I can sit there and <laughs> say my piece and it's it's. My time to say, hey, I I don't have this figured out. I don't know what to do. I mean, ask my wife; she's my soundboard. When I'm at my wits' end, I go to her and I'm like, hey, children need to go to bed early tonight. I literally just need to vomit and like give you everything. Tell me what I need to do, because that's at the end of the day, like that's why those people are great. That's why the leadership's great. It's you've got to process things, and if you think that you're going to solve them all, just you're just not going to. So I, I think that that and like pushing people to realize that by faith, we're going to be good and everything's going to work out for those that actually like do right. It might, again, it might not be the path you think you're on, but let's be real. I was playing polo 10 years ago thinking, why in the world do I care about, you know, Reynolds number and getting some flow regime out of the hole? Like I wasn't thinking about a well bore. I was thinking about hitting the polo ball. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, it's just... You got to take what God gives you and says, hey, you're either going to, you know, be upset or you're going to make lemonade.
2: You mentioned your wife, Erica, and how you you need that time to say, hey, we're going to put the kids together. Time for me to kind of get a lot of things out. I mean, I've heard from a lot of people over the years of like how that partner is so important in their career and kind of molding of personal and professional can you talk a little bit more about like how you guys are a team in this and what all that looks like oh yeah I wouldn't literally I wouldn't have anything I wouldn't be anywhere without her
0: I think in the beginning so she uh she worked at the local bank and um, a few different places when we first got married and then about four years in uh, she stopped working about the time that we got pregnant with Lane she hasn't worked since so I guess it's been five and a half six years but it's like I think a lot of people discount the the real CEO in the family is her. I mean she keeps all the buttons on and it's it to me like especially like I'll go on a, like a 2 week road trip or I did this massive private equity tour with Luke for a few years and I was gone a lot but if I don't get to come home and have that reset it's it's so negative for me. You know, she's definitely a a god-fearing woman. Um she is a very large studier of the Bible and she leads me She I me. Mean, she leads a, uh, we've got a small group of married couples that come over uh, typically on Thursday nights and she does all the cooking or they'll pass it back and forth, however they do it. But uh, we all get together and, you know, try to figure out, you know, how to be better people. And that's her. And that's when you're being pushed from the level of, you know, the girl next to you in bed, it, it makes it really real. Yeah. She's bar none, everything. No, that's so
1: great. I mean, you, you you're definitely got three different perspectives of sort of the beginning, middle and end of that, that powerful relationship. I mean, Bob, I don't want to share too much here, but I mean, Bob would be married right now instead of engaged, but he had to pivot his wedding date. Uh, Because of (laughs) COVID-19. That's true. Uh, Now, I'm pretty excited about that because I now can attend. It wasn't going to work. But we're all at that different level. Whereas I got married in 2003. And it's the same thing, Luke. I mean, if too many nights goes by that that we don't get to sit down and have those talks, I don't feel like I understand where I'm at. That's right. You know, and where I'm going. And it's so important. It's the same thing. I mean, and she's the same way, too. I mean, she's got stuff on her chest and things she's dealing with. Um, that she wants to talk to me about, and I've got to be a good listener there too. It can't just flow one way, but we'll have that sign like, hey, we need to put the kids to bed. It's time to sit down and have our talk. And I really think if I had to define one thing that we do on a consistent basis, that's the strength of our togetherness. It's that
0: that ability to
1: communicate on a very open and regular basis.
0: Yeah. I mean, we, uh, my folks or her folks will come down and they're like, you know, how do we turn the TV on or something? And, you know, just to watch a program when the kids are to bed and do you guys watch the news? And we're both like, no, I mean, what's there to watch? Um, you know, we, we still sit at the dinner table and have our meals together. We communicate through that. And that's kind of our, you know, that's our time. And if you don't have that, it's, it's, it's so unbalanced. I mean, things just feel out of whack. And, um, yeah, I think we don't as as a culture. I don't think we give them enough credit, but uh, they definitely are the backbone.
2: And that's a lot about. I think what we talk about is, as Michael and I have always thought about about this type of conversation is all that that news, that politics, things like that, that that get in the way of. Of you know having these type of conversations, of even just having those dialogues at home with with your your wife, your partner, your kids, everything. I mean, that that has gone away to some extent. That you know, I can't tell you how many times you go out to dinner and you see. Two people sitting at dinner together and they're both on their phones. I mean, it, it, it's incredible. I mean, what what has happened with with those devices that are attached to our hands and what it's done to communication? It's, it's, been, it's uh, disgusting.
0: Um, yeah. The my LinkedIn, one of our uh, ladies in the office runs it. I mean, I have zero social media. You know, honestly, I would rather get my mail via a horse. I I have no, (laughs) like, I have no care about that whatsoever. If my, if email, all that stuff, I could, I could easily unplug from that. I mean, unfortunately, now I have to keep it pretty glued. If my wife were sitting here right now, she'd roll her eyes because she knows how I I am constantly on the phone. But it is like I I think one of the biggest problems I have with that right now, if we can speak about today's world, is somehow the rules, and I don't even want to call them rules, but somehow the world said, hey, you know what? I'm going to write whatever I want on the internet and it's going to be acceptable. And there's no repercussions. There's no backlash. There's no, you know, hey, I'm worried about getting into trouble. I mean, I just, I mean, we all probably grew up in the same born late seventies, early eighties, if you will, time frame of, like our folks, you know, you respected who was in office, you respect whether you agreed with them or not. Like I, I, I could care less. I mean, there's always going to be an opinion, but at the end of the day, it's like the the world or at least our country, we've lost this just massive sense of respect. And it's, it's so easy to just say whatever we want, do whatever we want. No big worries. Nobody has to, it's like, nobody is accountable for anything. And that lack of accountability or lack of discipline is what creates chaos. And it's what's created what we're in right now. I mean, it's just absurd. It's like, can you people not realize, like, if you're just kind to one another, everything else works itself out. But this, like, (laughs) the things that we're seeing today in the last two weeks, if you will, I mean, it's absurd. I told you about going to Houston last week and I go down there and the Galleria is like, literally like shoulder to shoulder with, with armed people. Every window is boarded up. It's like, where are we? I mean, you think we're in like Columbia, nineteen sixty-five. I mean, just it makes zero sense.
2: And we're supposed to be social distancing too at the same time. <laughs> so how does that work, right? <laughs> yeah, they're they're leaving a man
0: out. You know, there's a there's a space for a six man, yeah, ma- six foot man.
1: Well, and we're trying to bring, you know, whether it's mom and pop, medium or large, I mean, all business has been affected by this, and we're trying to bring them back and then we're gonna pivot and have riots and looting and and just send them in a far further direction that's gonna be even harder to recover from? Like where's the humility and sense in that?
0: Yeah, I, I'd really like to know what was being accomplished there. I mean there's there's definitely different ways to get your point across, but it's like why? Like why why go down that road? Uh but again, it's it's the the these it's the world we live in today where if I have an opinion about something, I can just tweet it, Right. and nobody's gonna uh, be upset at my tweet. And it just, it's it's absurd. It's like you know what? Say that to my face, exactly. and let's see what happens. Because not not that it's not that it's all of a sudden going to be a fist fight, if you will. But I, I'll bet you a thousand to one, eighty five, if not ninety five percent of the comments made would never happen face to face because they know they're not right. You can't look at somebody in the eye and talk negative about somebody when you haven't been in their shoes. You don't get to do that. That's not humanity. I mean, that's just, that's absurd to me. And that's what, that's what we do.
1: No. Oh, and I mean like raising kids in this environment, <laughs> you know, it's like the idea of you're, you're not being bullied on the playground anymore. It's over social media. And to your point, they wouldn't do those things if it was on the playground anymore. No, no. And it's just, it's, debilitating for these kids it's just ridiculous
0: yeah i'm uh, you know i'm fearful like in that sense of you know so my wife and i both grew up in small town america A, there was no such thing as a private school i mean we're talking i grew up in a town of of 8 people my wife grew up in a town of 1200 people i graduated with 211 she graduated with like 12 and and, and so the idea of like raising kids in Texas and, and private schools and schools in general. I mean, it's a much bigger topic here. You know, it was really easy for the first five years because we didn't have to worry about it. And now we're figuring out, well, where's Lane going to go to school? And well, how does this work? And what does his teachers think? And I'm like, wait a minute. I mean, the only way I process this is to sit down with the school. And it's like, oh yeah, I'm sure they're going to take a meeting with you, Luke. Just go ahead and you know, get yourself a meeting with the school. Make sure everybody, including the janitors on board. Well, it's, yeah.
2: Everybody it, agrees with Luke. We're yeah, exactly.
0: So it's, it, it it's, it's tough. Cause I, I, I lean on, you know, friends that have older children, like, Hey, how do we, how do we maneuver through this? And how do we get our children to understand this? And it's, um, I think the first thing, you know, we, especially with Erica, I mean, she does a lot of, you know, good children's time, Bible time. She's, she's constantly with the children, obviously. But just being open with it. I mean, my my five-year-old can say pandemic better than I can. And he, uh, you know, he knows what's going on. But I think it's just making him aware and then telling him, hey, this is not right. You know, these are wrong things and these are right things. Um, clearly, he doesn't like see riots because we don't turn on the news. So, you know, it just, if anything, I hope COVID shows a lot of people like, we got to get back to the house and we got to be parents and we got to be present. And we got to make sure that, I mean, that it's our job. Our job is to raise children. And ultimately that's that's what we're responsible for. And uh, it's, it's tough. Like I think maneuvering through today's world is a headache.
1: Well, Luke, and you nailed it. I mean, I think one of the greatest ways to tell stories and transfer that knowledge is through stories. And that's, that's how Bob and I came up with this idea. Like, it's just, it's gone away and we got to bring it back. I mean, like you, I grew up in Dripping Springs, Texas. I think we had 600 people when I moved there, one stoplight. And every Saturday I would go to the Dripping Springs store and listen to all the old men coming back from catching bass in the little central Texas creeks. And they'd tell all their stories. I mean, it was like, I looked forward to that. It was it was educational. It defined a lot of the way I think about things, but that's, unfortunately, it's it's gone away. And, you know, when you were talking about your phone, like, there's a difference being on the phone, which is what we do for a living, and in your phone. Oh. And that's where it, people got to figure that out because, I mean, nothing drives me more crazy than to see a family of four sitting down for dinner and they're all in their phone. It's
0: unbelievable. And it happens
1: all it's, the it's time. It's disheartening.
0: I mean, the... But Google, the phone, and I pick up Google, fill in the blank, the internet as a whole has created masters of everything students have done. Nobody actually wants to learn anything. Hell, all you got to do is Google it. I mean, hey, how do I do this? Just Google it. I mean, it takes away from, let me tell you about the story that this happened rather than wikipediaing it in a matter of seconds to give me the actual fact. I mean, maybe I messed up the story, but it's still my story. Uh, it just doesn't happen and and both of us, Eric and I both, we grew up in families where we are both wonderful family uh oriented, stories, communication and sitting down for meals are important and spending family time is important. So it's it's, you know, knock on wood, it's easy for us to give that to our children because that's how we grew up. We don't know any better. I mean, neither one of us have ever lived in city limits in our life. I think we both would like freak out if we were in town. <laughs> and it's like a concrete jungle. I mean, th-
2: I don't think the town could handle us to be quite frank. Uh, that's great. I mean, when we think about it is, is Michael alluded to earlier as Anais and I think about getting married and all of these things. I mean, the thing that we always talk about is, you know, Do you want to have kids and and in what kind of world and where would you want to have them potentially grow up? And I mean, I never would have thought that that conversation would even come up, but you're like, with some of these things going on in the world, you know, do, you know, how can you protect your kids from that? And that's what Anais always tells me, like, how can I protect my kids when they go to school and they have all these things coming at them? And it's just, I mean, it really makes you think, and what is, what is that going to be in 20 years? I think the one thing
0: is is that change is always going to be there, but God's not. It's He's He's always going to be present. So like no matter the change, you know your foundation is your foundation, and if you can stay true to the foundation and know that, you know, God's going to get you through this, good, bad, or indifferent. The the doom and gloom really isn't that much doom and gloom. Yeah, um, yeah things may change, and and the way your children grow up might be different, but it's teaching. I mean. The more we teach our children right from wrong, I mean, they're going to make wrong decisions. I mean, my folks out here, they'd tell you Luke made plenty of them, but my foundation was always there. I mean, I might've rocked it every once in a while because I was a 25 year old polo player who thought he knew everything. Of course, I mean, (laughs) ask, ask uh, Tim, uh, he'll tell you plenty of stories. I was probably two drinks away from going to jail, but, uh, (laughs) but, but, you know, I, you go back to doing the right thing. Erica says this all the time, do the next right thing. I love that. That's, that's really not that difficult, but it is in today's world. So,
2: And Luke, you talked about, you know, kind of to that teaching piece, one of the things we've talked about people on the podcast is who are you, if you look back on the one or two kind of teachers that you have and, 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 or mentors, right? What, what was that and how did you utilize some of those relationships to get you to kind of where you are today?
0: I think for, at least for me, maybe different for the younger generation because I think they lean or desire to lean more on Google than the older guy in the office. I was quite the opposite. Again, back to the fact that I'm not social media uh, at all. I, I gravitate to the guy in gray hair and I'm like, hey, teach me your ways. And if it means I've got to put in more work Um, I'm going to put in more work because I want to know, I want to know firsthand knowledge. And Luke and I, when we were at Halliburton, we had a guy that taught us, you know, everything on the cement side, Don kid. Now he's one floor above us with nine energy. I mean, fantastic human. And, you know, he instilled that into us of, of learning from the field. That's where you gain respect. And I think to that point, um, Bob, you know, we, I I wanted firsthand knowledge of it, but I wanted to learn it. I didn't want to learn it to say, Hey, I can tell you what the book says. I wanted to learn true experience and, you know, um, forget the textbook for a minute. And that was, that was probably the thing. Like, I mean, I grew up with a job my whole life. Um, whether I was working on the ranch for family, friends, or I was bailing hay in college, like work was something I truly enjoyed. Um, my wife thinks I'm a workaholic, but, um, I, I, I do. I, I love it. I thrive in it. I, I, if we're going to have to, I mean, if you told me, Hey, tomorrow, let's go build seven miles of fence. I say, Hey, fire out, let's roll. I mean, I like it, but I like it because work brings together people and brings opportunity for camaraderie and relationships. And it's, it's awesome. And that's, that's, uh, you know, I've leaned really, really heavily on, I mean, I had a, really, really awesome boss, uh, before I bought quantum that, I mean, I was in his pocket for six years or five years, I guess. And I mean, he taught me so much and it shows because people do ask like, how did you get so far in such a short amount of time? I listened and I wrote a lot of notes and I, and and he literally taught me a tremendous amount of what I know now. So, and then it's leaning on, you know, your parents and, uh now my in-laws and and people that truly can speak words of wisdom to you that are little gold nuggets of hey hold on to those points cuz you're going to need them someday
2: and are you are you continuing to kind of pass on that to others as you continue to grow in your career
0: uh, you know i think so i've got a i've got a couple of young guys in the office that i hired for just that reason one of them he used to be a student and of mine i taught a college men's bible study and um you know, when he was 18, I was like, gosh, this guy's just full of it. and I love it. And I mean, he was, he was super smart. And, uh, he's now, I don't know what he is, 25, 26. And he's one of our analysts and he's, he's awesome. And we've got a, a new guy to the team probably in the last few months. And he's, you know, for a 27, 29, I'm not sure how old he is. He's 45 in his mind. And it's just, it's awesome to watch, but every one of those guys, they all have the same parental story. And they're just different and you can, you can see it. I mean, it's like you lined up a hundred guys in the service world in oil and gas. And if seven of them were from Halliburton, I bet you I could pick them. They're just a different breed of human. And, um, so I, I, I do, you know, Bob, to the point, like I want people to feel powerful and be able to make decisions and, and, and know that, you know, right, wrong or indifferent that decisions being heard and if we implement it and it goes haywire, it's not the end of the world. I think getting people to feel empowered and that their voice is being heard, not, not, I say that, not, uh, not light to the whole, you know, put it on Twitter and all of a sudden, you know, the world sees it, but, you know, true life experiences. I, I think people need to, need to be heard. And, and I think you need to give them the opportunity to say, Hey, I mean, I, I'll tell my staff, I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I'm just the smartest guy to find the smartest guys in the room. And, and that's, that's my tactic is like, fill yourself with success and you'll be successful.
1: You know, those two younger guys you hired, you know, having the same call it parental DNA or that background, that foundation. I mean, I think, you know, that is probably one of the defining problems with, you know, I mean, there's, there's one thing to, to protest and be heard. I'm not saying that's not something people should be able to do, but when you don't know why you're protesting and you're just out there to make noise, I'd be interested to know what their parental DNA actually was.
0: Yeah. And it might not even be, I mean, you can't say, you know, just because you're out there, your folks must be morons, but it's more of like, where did it go wrong? Like, where did you get off track? Like what happened? What happened in life that led you to believe that, you know, going out there and you know, burning down a building was a really good idea and putting whatever you stole on the, on the television to say, Hey, look what I took. I mean, you know, there just needs to be discipline. I mean, there's, and that goes to even like our children, like Eric and I battle all the time, like, Hey, on a good way, like, how do we, how do we discipline our children? And, you know, I, I, this was two years ago, I spanked uh, lane in the, in the uh, store. And this lady looked at me like, you know, I had cancer. And I was like, <laughs> um, you know, he's not listening. Um, I'm his dad. Yep. And this is what's happening. And I just thought, are you kidding me? Like, what's wrong with that? I got more weapons than you could shake a stick at. But guess what? I turned out okay.
1: We call that an attitude adjustment in the Moore household.
0: You do. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's it's uh I don't know. It's um it's crazy what uh what people are willing to accept or not willing to accept. And it's, it's sad because I think a lot of people have a very skewed vision of reality.
1: I would agree with that. Well,
0: coming on up on an hour here
1: of just a really insightful conversation, Luke, I mean, we want to, first of all, the world needs more Lukes. I mean, thank <laughs> you for, for what you're doing. That, uh, that passion, that vision, the drive, the really knowing being reflective enough to know what, why you're doing what you're doing is is just uplifting. I think our, I know our listeners are going to gain a lot from that. And so you know, as we're kind of wrapping up, and there's always we, we use this a lot on the podcast, there's that saying, if it's not what you know, it's who you know. And then I heard another one that it's not what you know, it's who knows you. And so as we think about the medium of this podcast and it going out to our listeners and expanding from there. Anything else you want to share on what people need to know about you? And then go ahead and plug away. I mean, if they, they want the best hand
0: sanitizer
1: on the market, <laughs> tell them how to get it. Yeah, uh, quantum.com. Um, yeah,
0: yeah, no, did you um, hear that? Uh, www.quantum.com. <laughs> no, that's actually not even a website. I'm just being silly. But no, I mean, it's, I just want people to do the right thing. And I want you to be passionate about what you're doing and lean on some, you know, the Craig shells of the world, um, life changing spiritual leader. Lean on people that are like literally there to help you, not to uh, pat themselves on the back if you get successful. It's really cool when you can all stand on top of the mountain. But if you're up there and you're by yourself, it's a lonely spot. So it's, it's choosing who rises with you and making sure that you're all
2: walking together. But no,
0: it's been, uh, it's been fun. I really, really appreciate the opportunity.
2: Uh, Luke, it's it's been so great to just listen to you. And and most I was asking the question about the mentoring because I might tell you, you got to mentor me. I took so many notes from our conversation and, and things that you said that just resonated. I mean, I love the passion in your voice. And I just keep imagining you talking about that group that you have sitting around at your conference table in your office and how much you know how empowering that is to all those people and like you said letting them show their hear their voices and and put things out there i mean it's just it's awesome to hear and i i appreciate your time and coming on today
0: yeah well thank you i i really do appreciate it it was fun we need to do it again amen there'll be a round two for sure yeah there you go round two
1: Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of The Climb. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider subscribing. And if you know someone who you would think would enjoy the podcast, feel free to share this with them. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode.